There you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. This Marine sergeant grew up in Detroit, had a rough time. Addiction, crime, drugs, you name it, it was all happening around him in his neighborhood. He made it out, became an East Coast Marine. His story is compelling. He's on a mission now to help others. And uh, you're going to really enjoy this. United States Marine Corps Sergeant Demetrius Thigpen. And thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio. Your steely eyed killer shadow in the night. You were born to fight. You gotta light them up. My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all burn it down. Our guest on this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero, is the United States Marine Corps, Demetrius Thigpen. And I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, his story is awesome. It's like so many others across America in these big cities, these young guys get lost. And sometimes it takes military service to, to get them on the right path. This guy is doing exactly that. He was born in Detroit. And the area that he grew up in had drugs, crime, all kinds of addictions. He didn't come into a sweet lily spot. He came into the rough life almost immediately. He was the middle child of three siblings. And he was raised by a single mom because his dad wasn't around. And that's tough. Anybody that's out there knows that a single mom has one of the hardest jobs in the planet. So I commend Demetrius's mom for getting these kids through it. At an early age, Demetrius saw things that most kids his age shouldn't see. He saw what addiction does and the damage it can do to a family. And it wasn't just like once a week. He grew up in it. He was in it in the inner city of Detroit. And we were smoking and joking. I said, you know, I'm not really a Detroit Red Wings fan, but, you know, maybe if he took me up there and we went downtown or something, I might turn into one. But his mom did the best she could. She worked jobs, brought the money home. The kids took care of the place. And then the recession hit and things got even tougher, got tough on a lot of people, but for them especially. They were having a hard time just keeping the lights on and food on the table. And I can't relate to that, but just by the way it's described and what I know about Demetrius, it was pretty tough. By the time he got out of high school, most of his buddies on, in the hood or on the block, whatever you want to say, were out in it. They were gangbanging. They were doing whatever they were doing, but what they were doing, Demetrius knew he wanted no part of that. So what did he do? I know he liked the uniform, but he joined the United States Marine Corps. It was probably the best decision he ever made. In 2009, he became a Marine. We'll talk a little bit about that. He'll talk about basic training, and I want to hear about his graduation. And he has faced obstacles and adversity throughout his 10-year career. He has deployed to different countries in support of Operation Enduring Freedom and the Special Purpose Marine Air Ground Task Force. He has transformed himself from those Detroit street days into the young man that he is today. And I met Demetrius through LinkedIn, which is a great platform 
for people in business. And I was on his show. I guess it's been about five or six weeks now. He is a sergeant and he's also a martial arts instructor, martial arts instructor. And he teaches martial arts with the United States Marine Corps. In his own words, Demetrius says he has had the privilege to train, lead, guide, and mentor fellow Marines. And what I know about this young man, I'm sure those guys that he has trained have learned well. So I just want to say I'm humbled and honored to have United States Marine Corps Sergeant Demetrius Thigpen here on Straight Out of Combat. Hey, Demetrius. What's going on, sir? How are you today? You know me, man. I'm... Uh, we just take it day by day, and we do what we got to do, and uh, we hopefully we can make an impact with whoever we come in contact with. So, absolutely. Let's talk about your two siblings. Let's talk about Detroit. What do, what's your first memory as a young man? Well, I should say as a young boy at that time. What, what's your first memory? You know, it's so crazy. I get real transparent uh, on like. Everywhere but my own show. I'm very transparent. Everywhere but my own show. But my first memory was my dad sending me down when I was eight years old. And he told me that I was going to be the man of the house. And I didn't really understand what he meant when he said that I was going to be the man of the house. Because what he was trying to tell me was is that he's an addict. And he's an alcoholic. And that he tried to stay sober, but that's not working. So my first memory was being abandoned. I remember that. You know, and I always try to tell myself, you know, remember the good, remember the good. But I can tell you the day. I can tell you the day. I can tell you the time. I can tell you what we were doing in that exact moment because I remember that conversation. And the problem with having an addict in the family is that when they come, they come in and out of your life. And the problem when somebody comes in and out of your life is that they come in your life, they tell you that everything's going to be okay, and then... As soon as you get used to them, they leave again. And this is an ongoing thing. You know, I remember my dad coming in. He left when I was eight. He came in when I was 10. He came, he left out when I was 10, came back when I was 13. From 13 to 15, from 15 to 18, to the point where it was just like, this isn't my father. This is just somebody. This is, this is my dad, yes, but this isn't really my father. And let me hurry up and just play catch up because I don't know how much time I have left with them. Roger that. That's a pretty tough thing for a young boy to to deal with. And uh, you say you're the middle child. Did you have any sisters or brothers or how was it set up? I had an older brother, but we're 15 years apart. So, you know, I never understand why my mom decided that she was going to have another child 15 years after her first one. But she had my older brother who was 15 years apart from us. And then me and my sister are 18 months apart. We have two different fathers. So me and my sister have the same father, but me and my brother don't. So that's probably why me and my sister are so close. I get that. Did your family have any military in the background, Demetrius? Nobody in my family. Nobody. Was, uh, you know, it's so crazy is that I was the first Marine. I have people, uh, my cousins went in the army after I did, but I was the first person in my family to join the military. That's awesome, man. That's like breaking new ground, brother. That's pretty cool. That in and of itself, I, I was smoking and joking about the uniform. Everybody knows that the Marine Corps Uniform looks awesome, and uh, I gotta say that uh, that's pretty cool that you that you forge you forge new ground. So so you're in high school, your mom is going through some rough times, you know, because of the economy. Not necessarily her own fault, but it's tough on a single yes, mom. You know, I married a single mom with two kids, and they weren't mine, and and I get it, you know. So 
it's just there's there's something about single moms I have a soft spot for. But so you've got your baby sister, 18 months. She's not really a baby, but she's a young girl. <laughs> and then you got your older brother. So you're in high school. You're seeing all this stuff going on. Tell me about the, the Marine Corps. Did you go to the recruiter? Did they come to you? Did you go to them? What was going on? Well, you know, it's so crazy about that is, is that I had no intentions of joining the Marines. You know, I did not, I didn't, one, I didn't know what the Marine Corps was. I did not know there was a Marine Corps. I knew there was an army. I knew there was a Navy. I knew there was an Air Force. And I remember in high school, I would write it down and say that, you know, I want to join the Air Force. So when I met the recruiter, I met him outside of me and my mom's job. Because okay. when that recession hit, we grew up, you know, and I always try to, I try not to blame my father because I say to myself that that's something that he probably couldn't have controlled. But once again, me and my mother, my mother had to raise me and my sister. And when she worked, me and my sister had to raise each other. And when I mean we had to raise each other, we had to wake each other up for school sometimes. We had to, one had to get ready for work. The other one had to get ready for school. Or one had to get the other one's lunch ready while the other one got dressed. We had to do that. And at one point when I was 15, me and my mother worked at the exact same grocery store. She was the cashier and I was, and I pushed carts. And it was just, you know, my mother graduated at the top of her class. She went to college. But when that recession hit Detroit, when it hit the America, it hit us hard. You know, I remember before we worked at the grocery store together, I would come home and the lights would be off. You know, we were, it got so bad one time that the neighbors tossed us the extension cord over from their house just so we could turn the microwave over. That's how bad it got. So at 18, I had met the recruiter as I was driving by and I was looking for an Air Force recruiter because I knew for a fact I wasn't going to do college. There was just something in me that just I, I tried to go to college. I did one semester and I dropped out that first semester. I could not do it. So when I saw him, I saw somebody that was in a uniform. And to me, I was it was kind of like off putting. He had a tan shirt. He had royal blue pants. He had a red stripe going down. He had this white hat on. I was just like, what is this? Like, what, what is he wearing? I didn't know that was the Deltas. But, you know, I pull up on him. I go up to him and I say, hey, are you a recruiter? He says, yes. I said, well, I'm going to need you to recruit me because this just ain't working. And we sat down. We talked for about an hour. I didn't even know I was talking to a Marine Corps recruiter. We're in our office of Marine Corps stuff. And it didn't click that I'm talking to a Marine Corps recruiter. And I literally asked him, I said, so what do you think about the Air Force? Like, how do you like being in the Air Force? Immediately started, <laughs> he probably he thinking, oh, all right, man. <laughs> he started yelling at me. And I don't know what it was. I don't know what, what clicked in that moment right there. But when he, when he said that, like, this is the Marine Corps, what you want to do with your life? I said, well, I, I guess I already figured it out. And right then and there, boom, I got shipped off to boot camp. I, I say, you know, obviously, like, a couple of months later. But I ended up going to boot camp, like, probably, I want to say, like, four months later. When you went home to talk to your mom, what's your mom's name? Uh, Wanda. When you went home to talk to your mom, Wanda, what, what, did, what did you tell her? And what was her reaction? You know, what's crazy is that at the time, nobody supported my idea. Nobody wanted me to join the military because it was around the time that the war was still going. Right. You know, and then it was also that time where you remember where that whole issue that was going on in the in the in the prisons with the with the POWs. Abu Gar Agu, I can't even pronounce it. Abu Garab it was, or something, yeah. 
So that put a bad taste in the mouth of all civilians. Like, this is what the military does. You know, you're going to go over there. You're going to get blown up. You're going to get shot. You're going to come back crazy. Nobody understands the military because nobody is in the military. Yeah, and and they're only seeing what they see on TV, so. That's the only thing they know, you know. A lot of Full Metal Jacket. It was a lot of Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> Can you remember that movie, man? Gosh, that yeah, that made the Marines look like it was just crazy. You know, so yeah. When I told mom, she, you know, she started crying. You know, she started crying. She said, "Why aren't you going to go to college? Why aren't you going to do this?" And you know, the crazy part about it was, is that everybody's trying to tell me to go to not go to the military, but nobody is giving me a better alternative than what we have right here. I don't want to go to college. I don't want to spend four years of my life doing something that I don't want to just get out and then hope that I can get the job that I spent four years of my life doing, preparing for. I don't want to stay in Detroit. I don't want to be around this no more. I grew up in an environment where, you know, everybody always talks about like they're violent, they're violent, they're violent. I grew up in violence. And I and it's and you know I, I I'm a firm believer that and I tell my wife I tell my Marines this I'm a product of my environment I'm just not a statistic I grew up in that so there was no other option for me if I would have stayed I can assure you my environment would have took hold of me so luckily for me I was 18 so I was going to go regardless of the situation I didn't need nobody to sign off but my mom cried so bad you're probably thinking holy cow I should have stayed I should have done something different or something or. <laughs> You know, and but to be honest, I, I saw everybody cry. Everybody cried. My sister cried. You know, my family cried, you know, because they didn't know what was. The, it was the fear of the unknown. They didn't understand. it, But I knew in my heart that I had to do something and that there was no going out. Well, you did it, man. So you went East Coast Marine. Yes, I'm an East Coast Marine. Pierce Island. What's the deal with that, man? The East Coast, West Coast thing. What's going on with that? I've heard a lot about it, but I'm still trying to figure it out. East Coast make real Marines. That's what the real Marines make. <laughs> You know they'll be calling in, man, going, holy cow. So you so you go off the boot camp. Yes. Okay, Paris Island. We can talk about the crucible and all that. But tell us, Demetrius, what was what was that transition like? Was there a was there a time when you went like, what did I do? Or was there a time when you went, aha, this is exactly what I want to do? Or both? Every single night that I lay my head down on that pillow, I ask myself, what have you done? <laughs> yeah. <It> was, <laughs> there was not a day that did not go by for those 13 training weeks that I did not say to myself, yeah, you messed up today. This is not, <laughs> this is not a good idea. But although I did not enjoy any of that, <laughs> and I told, I tell Marines, I was like, I don't remember much of my boot camp because I repressed that entire experience. You were just shutting because- it all off. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I wasn't a good, I wasn't, I wasn't a good recruit, you know? And, and I say I wasn't a good recruit in the matter of, I did not know how to drill. I didn't comprehend it in that type of manner. My face could tell you stuff that my, my mouth wouldn't say. And I couldn't help what my face would say, because once again, I grew, I'm not a friend. I was, I didn't grow up in a friendly environment. I didn't grow up in a submissive environment. I'm naturally abrasive. And I beca- and I'm abrasive because I had to survive like this. So a lot of people would look at me and think that I had an attitude. A lot of people could see it in my face if I had an opinion on something. So I was always on the quarterdeck, knocking them out, man. You were knocking them out, weren't you? <laughs> I left boot camp so toned. 
I really I went down there for a 13 week training program where I was down there push ups, jumping jacks. I left so toned. When they say you're going to leave the best shape of your life, they're not playing. <laughs> no doubt, man. And especially if you're on the quarter deck doing those all day long. Think of one time in boot camp. Think about this, Demetrius. Can you think of one time? I know you can think of lots of times, but think of one time that sticks out in your mind. What happened that day? Was it the worst day? Was it the best day? What what do you what sticks out the most? What day sticks out the most where it finally clicked? Uh, honestly, although I never liked I and although I'm not going to enjoy it, I was never supposed to enjoy it. But it was around the time where it was it was in the middle of it. And it clicked right when they gave us our uniforms. I hadn't I hadn't seen it wasn't the dress blues, it wasn't anything. It was when they finally gave us our, our, our camis. And I saw my name on my camis. I had never seen my name on anything. And I remember that day. And, you know, obviously those camis are torn up just from the training that I've been in through now. But I remember seeing my name on my camis. And it said thick pen. And I just thought to myself, like, this is mine. This is me. And I, 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 I couldn't believe that I had made it to this point. And I just couldn't believe that what was going to come next. Because no matter how bad it got, and I always told myself from the moment that I got on that bus to the moment that I stepped off that parade, that no matter how bad this gets, you can't go home. No matter how bad this gets, you don't have the luxury to go home. And I remember seeing everybody that got, they, you know, they would cry. They would, they would get the Dear John letters. You know, they would tap. They would tell the drill instructors that they want to go home. I wanted to do all of that. But I can't because I don't have nowhere to go back to. What are you going to do? You're going to go back to your environment? You're going to sell the drugs? Let me guess. You're going to work at Chrysler. Let me guess. You're going to open up this. Let me guess. You're going to figure That's not how this is going to work out, young man. You're going to have to push through. And I always tell people that my best quality, it isn't my charisma. It isn't my intensity. It's my resilience. Absolutely, man. You've got all those things. So, you know, it's nice to have charisma. It's nice to have fortitude. But if you don't have resiliency, it's going to be tough. Absolutely. You're getting in the best shape of your life. You're knocking them out on the quarter deck. You got your uniform. You're starting to get into the groove. You're feeling like a Marine and then the crucible comes up. Tell us a little bit about that. The crucible, you know, they tell you that that's going to be the hardest thing that you do in boot camp. And that's really the hardest thing that I have ever done. That was the hardest thing we did in boot camp. I can definitely say that. And you know what's so crazy about the crucible is that it pushes you to your physical limitations. It pushes you mentally, it pushes you morally, but it definitely pushes you to your physical limitations because you have to spread out your food. You're constantly going to be moving around. You're constantly, you're sleep deprived. It's a good thing. It's, it's some good training. But the funniest thing, and I, and I always remember this day on that crucible, is that I don't eat fruit and I don't like to eat fruit. I just got started eating fruit, but at the time I didn't eat fruit. And I had never had an orange a day in my life because I just wasn't eating fruit at the time. And I remember my drill instructor passing out fruits and Gatorade. So he's passing out apples and oranges. And I was saying to myself, like, please, just let me get an apple. I can deal with an apple. I can eat an apple. And he handed me an orange. 
<laughs> and sir, I don't even, I was so mad on the inside. And I was saying to myself, I don't even know how to peel an orange because I didn't eat that. But I was so deprived of food at that moment. I was so like, I had no energy in my body. I needed some form of substance. I remember digging my hands into that orange and ripping it apart and biting into it and sucking the juice out. That was the first time, you know, you never like had to tap into like your, your innate instincts, like your, your animal instincts. Absolutely. Yeah. That was the first time I felt like I ever tapped into them. And it was just that need to survive where I ripped the orange open. I'm talking about peel and all and bit right into it and just suck the juice out of it. I didn't even eat it. I just sucked all the nutrients out of it. And then I just threw it away. And I just asked myself, I was like, what have I become? <laughs> what have I become? Well, you've survived the crucible, obviously. So you make it to graduation. Who comes to see you? Nobody. Nobody came to my graduation. Well, how did you feel about the graduation when you finally did it? I mean, you were stoked about the uniform, but when you finally went to that parade field and they give you the anchor ball and globe, isn't that correct? Yes, sir. Eagle globe and anchor. Yeah. How'd that go down? You know, during the Eagle globe and anchor ceremony, the EGA ceremony, you know, we cried and, you know, obviously, you know, we all felt like we accomplished that moment. And my family did want to go to my graduation. They really did. But I felt like we couldn't afford the trip. I had been gone for 13 weeks. And when I left, you know, we were barely making ends meet. So I didn't want to put any unnecessary stress. And I remember seeing everybody's families out there. And I just thought to myself, like, this is the moment that I have been waiting for. And I just cannot wait to hurry up and get out of here. I don't want to stay. I don't want to go to this restaurant. I don't want to go to the PX. Put me on the bus. Send me back to Detroit so I can come back with the trophy. How'd you feel? Amazing. It was definitely an experience that I couldn't, I could never duplicate that experience because it was just to finally feel like you accomplished something in your life is something that a lot of people will spend the rest of their lives searching to do. And for the first time, I felt like I had accomplished something. Like, really, I accomplished something. I didn't go to college. I didn't get this high-paying job or whatever like society would want you to have. I became a United States Marine. And I felt like that was like the biggest thing I had ever done in my life. Congratulations. You know, so before you went to your first duty station, did you go home? Yes, I took the 10 days boot leave. And the crazy part about those 10 days is that we graduated in December and South Carolina wasn't that bad with the weather. Right. But when we got to North Carolina, it snowed so bad and the weather was so bad in North Carolina that I ended up getting stuck in North Carolina. <laughs> so on my, ten, you know, my 10 days believe I'm stuck in this state that I have never been to. And I'm sitting there like, what do I do? I need an adult. I need a parent. It was just finally getting home and just showing everybody. My sister said I stunk, though. She said that I smelled like crap. <laughs> well, you know, sisters will do that, man, especially baby sisters. So did you wear the uniform around? I, I had a recruiter's assistant, so I had to wear it. But I didn't do what the typical Marine does, like right when they graduate and they walk around town and they're dressed blues and everything. I don't know, but I, I, I'm definitely proud of myself for not doing that because I always look at the junior Marines that do that. I know their pride and stuff like that, but... I'm happy because I know for a fact my uniforms would have been all messed up. I, I, I wouldn't know how they're properly done. So I was happy. But I did have my uniform on when I was in the airport. And I think the reason why I didn't want to wear my uniforms out in town is because I was in my BMOT. So it was the Bravo uniform with the woolly pulley sweater over it. And I was walking around like, yes, I'm a Marine. I'm a Marine. And I came across some fleet Marines in the airport. We were in the USO. 
And I didn't I didn't realize how fleet marines were. You know, I'm a recruit. And I remember these Marines coming up to me and they were looking they like they caught me in like a corner. It was like it was like a scene like in a like a prison scene almost. Like they <laughs> caught me in a corner and it was like, Hey, what are, what are you doing? Why you got your uniform on? And I'm like, uh, uh you know, I immediately go back to boot camp. I was like, Oh, this recruit, I mean, um, this Marine. And they're like, Why are you talking like that? And I try to explain to them that I just graduated boot camp and they, they're pressing me in this corner and they say, what unit are you with? And I was like, Paris Island. It was like, okay, Paris Island is a place. What unit? And I was like, hotel company, senior drill instructor, staff sergeant. And they're like, wait a minute, you're a recruit. You just graduated boot camp. Like you don't <laughs> even got rank on. That's after that. I didn't even want to wear my uniform. I just wanted to keep to myself about it because I ran across a corporal and a senior lance corporal in the airport and they made sure that I knew exactly what I was going to be getting myself into when I got to the fleet. They made sure of that. Well, that's probably they're still training you, you know, so you went home and baby sister's ragging on you. You know, you're proud. You're, what'd your mom say? She was so happy. She got. She still has my pictures up at the house. My boot camp pictures. They wanted me to put my camis on so I can take a picture. They wanted me to put my uniforms on so I can take a picture. They were just so happy. That's awesome. All right. So tell us about your first duty station and then about your first deployment and how did you feel about that first deployment? What was going on, Demetrius? My first duty station was first maintenance battalion, and I'm a heavy equipment mechanic by trade, so I got sent to that unit. Where was that at? It's in uh, California, so Camp Pendleton. So you show up there and, and, you know, you're with your duty station. And when did you get deployed overseas? What was your first deployment? My first deployment was 2012 to Afghanistan. And what was that like? That deployment honestly changed me, changed my entire outlook of what I was supposed to be. Prior to that deployment, I had just picked up corp. I hadn't even been a corporal more than a week before they deployed us. We get out there, and it's crazy because that year that we deployed was the same year that Leatherneck had got hit. I mean, well, Bastion got hit, but Leatherneck and Bastion are, are in the same place. So Bastion had just got hit. We got out there, and we were replacing the unit. So we got a chance to actually see the aftermath of the entire situation. Wow. We got a chance to see the Marines that had to engage and everything of that nature. It hit a little different for me because my brother was actually out there. And he's younger than me. And he's not, he's not my brother, but we grew up together. So I call him my brother. Right. And he came in two years after I did. So this is his second deployment to Afghanistan. And he's out there and he was on Bastion when Bastion got hit. So he saw what happened. He saw what it was to be a leader. He saw what it was when leadership lets you down. And he saw, well, you know, like people fake the funk. He got a chance to actually see what happens when you fake the funk in a real life scenario. Right. And we had a heart to heart when I got out there. We had a heart to heart because he explained to me everything that happened. And I told myself that I wanted to be the leader that he could look up to, that he would be impressed about. So being out there, that was actually my oldest child was that was around the time that she was supposed to be born as well. So I ended up going home early to see her see the birth. Well, congratulations on that. How many children do you have? I have three. Awesome, man. So you went home, saw the birth, and then you went back to the sandbox again? Unfortunately, that was the plan. That was the initial plan. I was supposed to come home, and then I was going to go back out there. But the deployment got cut short, so a month later, they came back. So everybody came back a month after I did, after I left. When you were over there, what kept you focused, do you think? The issue with bashing is what really kept me alive. It allowed me not to get complacent. 
because everybody was under the impression that Leatherneck was just Camp Pendleton Ford. You know, this is the main base. Nothing's going to happen. So when Bastion got hit, that sense of complacency went out the window. You know, you might as well be out on the outside the wire. You know, you might as well be fire popping. The enemy made it into the home. So, you know, you can walk around if you want to and think that this ain't going to happen again. And it just did. So I never allowed myself to get really complacent. What did you see over there in Afghanistan during your deployment? What was going on? What did you see? As a maintainer, we got a chance to see the aftermath of what happens when shit doesn't go as planned. And when I say that, you know, my job is to fix gear. But I remember we will open up the cabs and you will see blood in the cabs. We will open up the cabs and you will see throw up in the cabs. You know, you will open up the cabs and somebody had defecated on themselves in there. And when, and my staff sergeant, I remember him pulling me off to the side and he was like, Thickman, you can't really get upset with this because this machine is telling you a story of what just happened. You're fixing this gear that just got hit with this, you know, this 10 pound IED or this 50 pound IED. This is what the Marine was, you know, this is the aftermath of what the Marine gave you. So I got a chance to see a lot of why the training mattered, why we're supposed to be doing this, why you can't get complacent. Some tough lessons and some good lessons, because you know what, Demetrius, you know, thanks for pointing that out, because if you do get complacent, people can die. And, you know, and and all it takes is a slip up like that. You know, we were talking about guard duty earlier. You know, you can count on your brothers and sisters in arms because they're in the same boat that you're in. And that's some good advice that he gave you. So you came back. They they cut that deployment short. You did travel to more countries. Tell us about some of the other countries you went to. Absolutely. A couple of years later. So Afghanistan was 2012. The special purpose MAGTAF that happened in 2015. And ironically, that was the same time I was having my second child, <laughs> you know, but lightning didn't strike twice. I actually had to stay out there on that deployment. And I watched the birth through my phone. I watched my wife give birth to my son through my phone. And that deployment, you know, it was more, it wasn't combat oriented in the aspect of how Afghanistan was. It was more, you're going to go to Burundi, you're going to go to Siganella, you're going to go to Rome, you're going to go to all these other places in support of a different element. So that was, it was different that time. Because of that deployment, that was around the same time I became a martial arts instructor trainer. Well, tell us about that. What type of martial arts are you practicing? You know, I'm a Marine Corps martial arts instructor trainer. I teach Marine Corps martial arts and it's scenario-based training. And just like whatever, what a scenario is, a scenario can determine any type of situation and it's constantly changing. It's constantly evolving. You can plan for a scenario, but the scenario will always change and it's, it's combatives. It's almost spiritual too, isn't it? Martial arts. You're talking about training that's been around for centuries. The whole martial arts aspect of of combat. It's been around since the beginning of time, probably. Yes, sir. And one thing that I love about the Marine Corps martial arts program is the three disciplines. You have your physical, mental and character. And, you know, the physical, you know, we all know what the physical is. You know, your strength, your muscle memory, your endurance. The mental, your knowledge, you know, the warrior case studies, the martial cultures. But one thing that I love the most is that character, you know, and that character is who you are when no one else is looking. The character is, is that voice inside of your head that tells you to quit. Your character is, is who you really are without your rank, without your title, without your status. That's the person that you see in the morning right before you go to work. That's your character. And I love about it is that it gives you a chance to see that person and it allows you to allow it. It gives it a chance to evolve because we get our characters from our morals, our upbringings, 
how we were raised, the people we were raised around, these type of people influence our character. But when you put somebody in the mud, when you add a little bit of pressure, you're either going to get a crumbled piece of coal or you're going to get a piece of diamond. And that's what I love about character is that that's the determinant factor of whether or not you're going to be dust or you're going to be a diamond. That's a great way of looking at it, too, you know, and, and when you think about, I don't know what was going on in Detroit, man, but you definitely developed some character and it shows and your enthusiasm, the love for what you do, you know, you can definitely see it. So when was your third child born? So you got three kids, you got a, two boys and a girl. Or what do you have? I have uh, two girls and one boy. So my oldest, she was born in 2012, around the Afghanistan period. My son, the middle child, he was born when I was on that special purpose MAGTAF. And then my youngest, Charlotte, she was born last year. Well, congratulations. So looking on your Marine Corps career so far, would you do it all over again? In a heartbeat. The exact same thing down to the mistakes that I made in a heartbeat. Where do you see yourself in five years, Demetrius? In five years, I see myself as a character development specialist, helping people become the better version of themselves. Well, you've been doing that. So uh, you have your own podcast show. Yes, I do, sir. I'm the creator and host of Extraordinary Thoughts for the Ordinary Mind, a podcast dedicated to helping people tackle obstacles that are stopping us becoming a better version of ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with the version that we are right now. But at the end of the day, who does not want to be better? Who does not want to have more? Who does not want to be more? So we talk about different topics such as anxiety, depression, relationship problems, financial issues, toxic leadership. We get a good channel of topics. You're on the show. Yeah, it was a great show. How can people find out about that show? What do they need to do? We're available on all streaming platforms, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, We'll also have a YouTube channel. Once again, it's still the same name. Extraordinary Thoughts for the Ordinary Mind. Awesome. Well, we're not done yet. I'm not done with your mind yet. Absolutely. No, no. Have me here as long as you want. No, I got you, man. So let me ask you this. If you, you know, knowing what you know about the military and people that have been to combat, right? We see the papers and, you know, they say, oh, you know, was he in the Marines? Was he in the Army? They have hair triggers. They're going to go nuts. They got TBIs and post-traumatic stress. What do you want the civilians to know about combat veterans? When we talk about combat veterans, I always look at my predecessors. My predecessors were the ones that they went outside the wire and they put rounds down range. For what they did, I can't thank them enough. But for what they did, they had to lose a piece of themselves. They had to give up a piece of themselves. And a lot of us weren't able to recover from that. A lot of them were not. But one thing that I can say is that all veterans, all combat veterans are not crazy people. You know, oh, you know, you can't light a firecracker around them because they're going to jump under a desk. Absolutely. Some, that is the case. However, at the end of the day, these people did something, they lost something that a lot of us will never be able to lose or obtain or to gain. And what I mean by that is that they've lost marriages. They've lost family members. They've lost pieces of themselves. They lost best friends. They lost friends all for the sake of for the privilege and the honor to be able to serve our country and to protect all the people within the country. That's some awesome wisdom, Demetrius. Thank you for that. So yeah, touch his home, brother. Let's just say I'm a brother or sister and I got out and I'm in transition and I'm not feeling too good. Like I'm in a bad place. Sergeant Thigpen, what would you tell that Marine or that soldier or that Navy personnel or Army person? What would you tell them? First and first, I tell them, I hope you brought some furniture because you're going to be here for a while. 
And I say that in a manner of, we always get into this dark place and we say to ourselves, how do I get out? How do I get out? How do I get out? But your darkness, that dark place is yours. That is your place. We try to run from it. We don't want to feel what's been bogging us down. We don't want to live in that hole. No, get you some furniture. Get you some furniture. Get you a television. Get you some stuff set up because this is your home. All what hurts you. All what's been hurting you for a while. And when you own that peace, when you make that peace yours, you have the power over it. Nothing has power over you. Do not give anything power over you. Also, everybody goes through it. So don't be ashamed to tell us. One thing that I had to tell somebody is that at some point, you need to realize that majority of us have PTSD. Not all of us have it to a certain degree, but some of us do have it. If you can't go out in public because your anxiety is kicking out, because you are constantly searching and assessing and trying to establish a baseline, guess what you got? If you go into somewhere and you got to have your back against the wall because you need to see everybody around you and understand the exits, guess what you got? When you walk into a room, you tell yourself that everybody is safer, but in the back of your mind, you have a plan to kill everybody in the room just in case things don't go the way they're supposed to. Guess what you got? Welcome to the family. Welcome to the club. And now let me help you get used to where we're at. And when you do, the thing that has power over you is I can assure you, you're going to have power over it. Definitely some great advice. That's awesome. Demetrius, what does freedom mean to you? Freedom to me is the ability to do exactly what makes you happy. What I mean by that, I always tell myself is that I don't want to be confined by money. I don't want to stay in a situation because the monetary value that it brings me. I don't want to stay in a situation because it has just good vibe. It, it, it gives me fluffy truth and never honest truth. Freedom to me is to legitimately be happy with the things you have, with the job that you want. Like you wake up in the morning and you say to yourself, like, this is the job that I wanted. I can do this forever. Freedom is being able to go home, look your kids in the eyes, smile and laugh, and, and just know that they're taken care of. That's real freedom. Freedom is honestly, it's being happy. Let me ask you this. If you getting up every day, we all got to do it. Does Demetrius Thigpen have a mantra or a saying that you can relate to? Maybe it's your own. What do you live by every day? When in doubt, increase the intensity. No matter what the situation is, I say it just like this, and, and I know, but I came from a generation where we yelled. You know, we provided verbal counseling. So they will always say, I need some intensity. When we teach Marine Corps martial arts, I say, I need some intensity. But the thing about being intense is not necessarily like the physical aspect of you grabbing something. But when you intense with something, you got passion behind it. See, the thing about intensity is that you came, you didn't come to play, you came for a purpose. So when in doubt, increase the t intensity. If you feel like your dreams ain't going to go far, when in doubt, increase that intensity. Increase the intensity, increase the passion, and push it a little bit further. When in doubt, if you feel like that you can't keep going, I'm going to need you to go ahead and increase the intensity. Hop out of bed, get in your car, and let's go ahead and tackle the day. When in doubt, increase the intensity, increase the passion. I can assure you right now, you're going to be better. Roger that, Demetrius. So how can people... Contact you, whatever you want to give out, phone number or email address, website, whatever you got. Let's let the listeners have it. Absolutely. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I am a character development specialist, consultant, a coach. If you need just advice, if you need a game plan with life, if you're just trying to just talk to get through something, 
please take my email down, Demetrius.thig, Demetrius spelled D-E-M-E-T-R-I-U-S dot thig, T-H-I-G at gmail.com. My website is Meech Speaks. Once again, that my website is Meech Speaks. That is Meech, M-E-E-C-H. And last but not least, follow me on Instagram at OMG. It's Meech once again. That is OMG. It's Meech. Well, I'll tell you, Demetrius, I definitely humbled and honored to have you here on Straight Out of Combat Radio. And I appreciate your time. And I know we've been trying to link up for a while. We've been having a conversation with basically what I'd call him as a life coach and motivator which is exactly what he's doing. But Sergeant Demetrius Thigpen, United States Marine, on the West Coast these days, he's making it happen. He's done a lot of things that a lot of guys wouldn't have been able to do had he not had that intestinal fortitude to look at himself, pick himself up, and do some awesome things. You know, he's a father and raising some good kids. And all I can say is because of Marines like Demetrius, and we were smoking and joking earlier, I can sleep at night knowing that whoever's out there like Demetrius, is doing what they need to do to keep us safe here at home. And I'm looking forward to Demetrius, to the future, our relationship. And you got the final say, man. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we we end this one? I know we're going to pick up some more in the future. Yes. One last thing, and I'll tell anybody, follow your dreams. Right now, as we speak, there's somebody driving to a job that they don't want for money that they need. And the whole time that they drive, their dreams, their aspirations are in the backseat. They go in there, they punch the clock, they make somebody else richer, they make somebody else's dreams come true. Then they sit back, they come home, they look their kids in the eyes and they lie to them. And they tell them things like, follow your dreams. The whole time they have it. Don't let things such as monetary value or status hold you back from truly walking in your purpose and living your dreams. Follow them. But that's it. Just like that, another extraordinary thought left this ordinary mind. (laughs) And you got it, brother. You know... Demetrius, I appreciate you, man. And I'm so glad that we made contact on LinkedIn. Looking forward to the day we can actually meet each other. Mano y mano. You keep doing what you do, and you're going to have fantastic success. When you talk to Wanda next, you tell her that you met this old Army guy that says, hey, Mom, thank you very much. And I mean that, man. And and you keep going. If there's anything we can do here at Green Zone Hero, we got your six, brother. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. I greatly appreciate it. God bless. Before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. Yeah.